Let's open, look to Acts chapter 4. I want us to go back and I want us to look tonight at verses 13 through verse 22. I want to go back and begin looking at reading verse 1. And as they spake, talking about Peter and John, remember they had went into the temple and God was pleased to heal that man that was lame. For, he had been lame for 40 years. The Lord made a trophy of grace out of that man, and that man is a picture of God saving a sinner that had been bound by sin for 40, 50, or 60-some years. He was bound, and the Lord set him free. These people could see a difference in that man. This man couldn't walk, lame, never made a step in all of his life, and now he walks. Can you imagine what them people thought? How did this happen? We, we, and there's no denying. We know that man. We saw him for all those years, and now he's walking. How can this be? And Peter spake unto the people, and the priests, and the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees, they came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And they laid hands on them because it was probably the end of the day. And put them in the hold unto the next day, for it was now eventide. But even this, they, men, try, we're going to put them in, in the stocks or put them in the jail overnight. We're going to hold them overnight. And then we'll decide in the morning what we're going to do with them. But verse 4, how be it? Many of them which heard the word believed. And that's how God always works. A man must hear, and he believes. They believed. Peter told them that Jesus Christ made that man whole, and God gave these people to believe in Christ. And many of them which heard were believed, and the number of them was about 5,000. Let's not just ever read over those verses. And You know, that's a large number of people that believed, not pretended to believe, these people believed. What a miracle! It's a miracle of grace if anybody ever believes. But here it is, five thousand, and we know there was three thousand on the day of Pentecost. You talking about eight thousand people, and just a short period of time in this early church, the Lord has went back to glory, and He sent back His Spirit to enable His church to preach the gospel, and God's blessing His word, blessing it. Verse 5, and it came to pass on the morrow on the next day that the rulers and the elders and the scribes, and now they've got Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander, and as many as were the kindred of the high priest, they're all gathered together at Jerusalem. If they, could have, if they had a phone, they would have been on the phone that evening. Calling, well, you need to get down here to Jerusalem. We've got problem down here we've got to deal with. What's the problem? we got somebody down here that's preaching that, that Jesus we crucified is risen from the dead. we got this man here that was lame for 40 years. He's walking. You need to get down here. we got to deal with this. And that's why they're all gathered together. Isn't it amazing how God rules things? How he, he even gathered these people here. But they not, may not realize it. But it really, on one side, it was a blessing that God's going to allow these men 
to hear the gospel. And when they had set them, talking about Peter and John, in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Who give you the right? Who give you the authority to do what you're doing? Who did it? We didn't give you the authority. We didn't give you permission to do this. Who did? Now watch this then, Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost. Is this the same man that just a couple of weeks, maybe six or seven weeks earlier, had probably almost probably stood in the same spot where our Lord stood when he was judged and denied that he knew our Lord three times. It's the same Peter. It's the same man. But there's something different this time. Peter is not now filled with fear. He's not now filled with pride. He's filled with the Spirit of God. And when the, where there's the Spirit of God, we're going to see there's going to be boldness. We, we don't have to fear men. Our Lord said, don't fear men that can just destroy the body, but you fear him who, able, who is able, after he destroys the body, can destroy both soul and body in hell. He was filled with the Holy Ghost, and he said unto them, You rulers of the people and, Israel, and elders of Israel, if we be this day examined, this is why they were examining them of the good deed done to the impotent man, but what means he is made whole? If this is what you're asking, how was this man made whole? I can tell you. And I'm not ashamed to tell you. Be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. Man, what a verse full. You took him. You crucified him. You murdered him. You did exactly what you wanted to do, but God raised him from the dead. And it's by the power of Christ that this man is made whole. That's how sinners are saved. This is the stone which, to be, which was set at naught of you builders. You, you set him aside. You're the, the, you not only set him aside, you stumbled over him, which had become the head of the corner. In verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It is by and in the authority of Jesus Christ, the Lord Jesus Christ, that sinners are saved and sinners are set free. No other name given among men whereby we must be saved. You told me you must be saved. Must be saved. Verse 13, now our text. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. And beholding the man which is healed standing there with them, they could not say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves. They told them to step out for a few minutes saying, what shall we do to these men? What are we going to do with these men? What are we going to do with them? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them, it is manifest to them all that dwell in Jerusalem, 
and nobody can deny that something marvelous was done to this man, but that it spread no further, according to the people. Let us straightly just threaten them, that they speak henceforth no more in the name of Jesus. So they called them back in and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. Then tell them to cut hills, but just don't speak in his name. Don't preach his gospel. Don't do that. Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than God, judge ye, for we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people and all men glorified God for that which was done. For the man was above 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was showed. These self-righteous religious men, and they could have been the whole Sanhedrin, sub-70 men, all the, the high priests and the chiefs and the scribes, they're all gathered together. They are spellbound by the courage of Peter. They took knowledge. They saw his boldness. How could a common, ordinary fisherman from Galilee that was not learned in their schools, stand before you. He's basically standing before the Supreme Court of his days, the Jewish Supreme Court. And he's not afraid. He said, I cannot but speak the things that I have seen and heard. He's not intimidated. They wanted to intimidate him. They wanted to threaten him. Just make some threats. Do you not know who we are? Do you not know that we run this place? Threatened, threatened. They perceived by their speech and by their dress that they were just common men. Now, this is not saying these men were, were ignorant men. This is not saying that these men could not read or write. We know better than that. Who do you think wrote First and Second Peter? Who do you think wrote the Gospel of John? These men did. These men were not ignorant in that way, but they looked at them as ignorant. They looked at them as unlearned. You're just unlearned fishermen. You know, you don't, you don't need a college degree to learn how to fish. You don't need a college degree. You just go to, to trade school, just some school, and you can learn how to fish. You don't even need to go to school. Your daddy or your, or your uncle or somebody can teach you how to fish, and that was their living. Do you remember what our Lord told Peter? He said, Peter, from henceforth, you're going to catch men. It's not with trickery. It's not when we go fishing, we take a, a, a reel, rod and a reel, and we, put, we, we disguise it. We have to put a worm on the hook because if we don't, that, that fish is not going to bite that hook. So it's deception. When they fished, you cast the net, and it gathers in the fish. Peter, that day, he cast the net of the gospel. And 5,000 fish, 5,000 believers, 5,000 elect of God were saved. These unlearned and ignorant men, they took knowledge that they had been with Jesus. They'd heard our Lord speak. They know he spoke as a man. They said he don't speak like the scribes and Pharisees. He speaks as a man with authority. And he did. He was the authority. And Peter has authority. God gave him authority to preach. 
he spoke with authority. And they saw something that connected them to our Lord. They said they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. You know, that's what, even when he was denied our Lord, that's what one of the maidens said to him. This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. They knew they were his disciples. They knew it. <clears throat> Verse 14. Here standing with Peter and John was the miracle of God's grace. There was no denying it. They even confessed it, that there's no denying. We can't deny that something's happened. You know, that's like it is. Men, men don't understand it. They, how, how are they going to explain it? How are you going to explain when God saves a sinner and changes? How, how can they explain that? They can't. They're spellbound. He can't. He, he's dead. We saw him. He was buried. He's not alive. Oh, yeah, he is. He's alive. What I see here, they are forced to admit that something miraculous has happened. They're forced to admit it. Isn't it amazing how the Lord, Peter and John, they're, not, they're just going into the temple to preach the gospel. They never planned on meeting this man. And they just passed, passed by him, and the man just asked some alm of him, and Peter said, silver and gold, have I none? I don't have no silver and gold, but I've got something more precious than silver and gold. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk, and he jumped straight up. And God's going to use that man as an evidence before those people of what he can do and what he did do to sinners. And there's no denying it. Our Lord told his disciples, did you know he told them he would give them what to say? I could see Peter get up that morning and say, and John, we're going to the temple. Well, what are you going to say? Have you got a sermon written out? Have you, have you done any preparation? Uh, what, what are you going to say, John? I mean, what are you going to say, Peter? Now, don't say that, I'm not saying that, that we should never study. You know, I heard Henry say one time, said, you don't study and you get up there and, and you don't have anything. He said, he may fill your mouth with nothing. But here's what our Lord told his disciples. And you think, these are, what are they going to say? What am I going to say? I will give, Luke 21, verse 15, I will give you a mouth and wisdom. This is not the wisdom of the world. Wisdom. I think a wisdom is, I want the wisdom to know exactly what needs to be said at the precise time. That's wisdom. You've been in situations that I just wished I knew what to say. I wish I knew just the right thing to say. And God gives you the ability and gives you the wisdom. The wisdom. Which all your adversaries shall not be able to gainsay or resist. They won't be able to stand before you. They won't be able to resist you. These are his servants. These are his preachers sent forth. God's word is sharper than a two-edged sword, and he gave Peter that then. 
what he needed to say. And he gave him the ability to say it. Now, it's different when you say something and you know people will agree with you. But I can tell you right now, it's totally different when you say something you know it's going to make them mad. There's a difference. You know the whole, the whole every one of them is going to get angry. Gather up, say it. And that's how the gospel always does. To men who don't understand. They didn't understand. You know why? They didn't have the wisdom of God. So what do they do in verses 15, 16? They send them out and we're going to have a closed door session. We're going to talk this over. And they call them back in and they're discussing. And well, what we got, they're discussing, what, what are we going to say? What, how are we going to talk to, to Peter? What, what are we going to tell them? They asked Peter and John how this hill, he, how was he healed? And in verse 17, after they deliberated, they let Peter and John go free. They want to save face in verse 18 through 19, so they give some, some they, they do this to give some legality to their court. They're just a puppet court, really. The, the apostles refused to obey their threatenings. They said, we're charging you, we're threatening you. Don't preach anymore in Jesus' name. If you do, you'll be in contempt of this court. We'll come get you. Most people would have been afraid. Most people would have been. But not these men. Not afraid. They didn't forbid the apostles from performing miracles in the name of Jesus. They just told them not to speak in the name of Jesus. And Peter said, now you judge for yourself. Whether it's right in the sight of God to obey men more than God. He said, you judge. I appeal to a higher court. Listen, we cannot stop speaking the things which we, he said, we're telling you. You can basically, he said, you can threaten all you want to. There's no way I can stop telling people what I have seen and what I have heard. You can't stop a man. He didn't see it second-handed. He didn't hear it second-handed. He saw it and he heard. And these people saw and heard what God did for that man. They couldn't, knew they couldn't, the only reason they didn't punish God's servants and do something to them is because it would have made the crowd mad. So they tried to scare them. Back to verse 13. These self-righteous lost men saw something different about Peter and John. You've heard me say, grace, the grace of God makes a difference. These men are not the same men our Lord called three years earlier. He was with them. He taught them. He instructed them. 
They saw what he did. They, he told them, he expounded unto them the scriptures. They knew, like I said, that he hadn't any formal schooling. As I went back there in the scripture we read, 1 Corinthians one twenty seven. But God hath chosen the foolish things of the world. Now watch this word, to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. Like I said, he, he embarrassed them. He revealed what Peter preached, revealed, and God said he confounded them. God reveals, God reveals their ignorance. The foolish things that were to confound the wise, they're confounded, and to confound the things which are mighty. Then Peter and John preached with boldness. When you know whom you believe in, you're not afraid. If you'll go and read, I think it's in Acts 20, when Paul's getting ready to leave the Ephesian elders and go to Jerusalem. And he says, I, I'm not sure what's going to befall me at Jerusalem. Things will change. Right here they turn them loose, but this grows stronger and stronger. Eventually they won't turn them loose. Eventually when they lay hands on them, they will martyr these men. And in Acts I think it's Acts 20. Paul said, I'm going to Jerusalem, and I don't I have any idea what's going to happen to me when I get there. But none of this moves me. You know why? Because I don't count my life dear unto myself. It's not about me. It's about serving him. It's about glorifying him. And this is what Peter did. Isn't it amazing how God gave these men boldness, how he gave them courage? They're not afraid. By nature, we're afraid of our own shadow. Here's what it says in, in Proverbs 28.1, the wicked flee when no man pursues. He's afraid of his own shadow. But the righteous are bold as a lion. You want to see another example, an illustration in the Old Testament? When David goes fights Goliath, he, he's maybe just a teenage boy. Compared to Goliath, he's nothing. But he's not afraid. When David comes up to the battle, David's brothers and everybody in the Israeli, in the army of the Jews are terrified. Even King Saul, who's a, who's a man of statute, mighty man in the world's eyes, but he's afraid. David said, do you not hear what that man's saying? Do you not hear how that man's blaspheming our God? He said, is there not a cause? He said, I'll go fight him. I'll go fight him, and I'm going to take his head off. No question about it. He's not afraid. What makes the difference? I tell you what makes it. It's grace. 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 The fear of men brings a snare. Perfect love casts out fear because fear hath torment. Where did this boldness come from? They saw their boldness and they took knowledge that they had been with Jesus. So this boldness comes from spending time with him. It'd be like, I ain't got nothing to worry about. Old writers, old writers used to call, he's our elder brother. 
You imagine the Lord. He is He is our Lord, our Savior, and he is our elder brother. He's not going to let anything happen to his people that he didn't decree. And Peter cannot die till the Lord sees fit. Moses met our Lord, the Lord God, in a burning bush before God sent him down to stand before Pharaoh. Peter flees Egypt because they found out he killed an Egyptian man. And he's gone for 40 years. You imagine going, imagine the Lord said, okay, Kurt, I want you to go to Washington, D.C. And I want you to walk right into the Oval Office and point your finger right there at that president and I want you to tell him what I'm telling you to say. That's what Moses did. Moses walks right in there in front of Pharaoh and all of his people. And he says, God, the God of Israel, sent me to tell you to let my people go. That would take courage. That ain't something we work up. It's something God gives. We don't, because we've been with him. He had saw him. If you see God, he saw him in a bush. He saw the bush burn but was not consumed. He saw the Son of God consume. The wrath of God poured out upon him, but he was not consumed. He bore it. God, give us the grace to make time to spend with the Lord. Give us grace to spend time with him in prayer and spend time with him in his word. Someone said, we are influenced by the company we keep. Our Lord said, have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. Be not deceived, evil communications corrupt good manners. And Peter said, we cannot but speak what we've seen and heard. Somebody that's really heard and seen something, you can't stop them from speaking. You imagine if, if you saw something, you saw it and you heard it firsthand. And you imagine somebody comes up and they're telling just a, an opposite story. You go, that ain't what happened. That ain't what happened. That's Peter, that ain't what happened. It ain't what you thought happened. Let me, I want to tell you what happened. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. He ascended back to glory and he sent his Holy Spirit to indwell his church. That's what he did. He's not some defeated savior. He's not trying to save men. He's saving sinners. And we don't have to be afraid to proclaim that. We know the world hates it. They hate him. Here's what Jeremiah said. And all men at times. It's just like Elijah. Elijah stands with boldness on Mount Carmel in First Kings, I think it's 1 Kings 18. And then Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you by tomorrow. And he's terrified. And he goes out there and feels sorry for himself. Where's his boldness at now? The Lord's left him alone. And the Lord comes to him and says, what are you doing here, Elijah? And here's what Jeremiah said. Jeremiah was a, pre a preacher and a prophet that God sent to Israel. And you know what he told him? They're not going to hear you. 
when you go preach to them, they're not going to hear you. They're not going to listen. And can you imagine nobody listening? Nobody caring. You know what you'd want to do? Well, I'm just not going to say nothing. Who hath believed our report? And here's what Jeremiah said. Then I said, I will not make mention of him nor speak any more in his name. He said, I'm done with this preaching. But I can tell you a secret. If God ever called a man, he can't be quiet. You can't shut him up. You can't shut up a believer. Here's what he said. But his word was in mine heart as a burning fire shut up in my bones, and I was weary for, for, with forbearing, and I could not keep quiet. He couldn't. That's Peter. You can't keep him quiet. No, we're going to threaten him. That'll, that'll shut him up. I don't think so. <laughs> what would work with the world won't work with the children of God. Because you know why? They've been with Christ. They saw him. <laughs> May the grace of God be set forth in our lives. Wouldn't it be something if people saw us and they took knowledge? There's something different. You've heard me say it, and I'll, I'll say it again now. There was a man, I can't I don't remember his name, who goes to Todd Nybert's church. And I can't remember where he worked, but he was, you know, he was the always first one on the job. He was the last to leave. He, he, he never had a bad attitude, never talked back. And if things went rough, he just dealt with it. It was his job. And that man, he found out he's a believer. He said, there's something different about that man. And he actually called Todd. He said, I'd like to know what you preach. I'd like to know what you preach that would produce a man like that right there. That man took knowledge that there was something different about that man. And there is something different about the children of God. We're not, we see all everything coming upon the world, and the world is, is, their hearts are failing them for fear, for seeing all these things coming upon the world. We don't have to be afraid. Our God rules, our God reigns. They said, David, where's your God at? David said, he's on the throne. That's where he's always been. That's where he's always been. I'm going to give you some scriptures, Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And don't be conformed to this world. That's what the world wants you to do. Because they just want you to be quiet. They want to conform you to this world. Don't be conformed to this world. But you be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what it's that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. It's God's will to save, a, save sinners. It's God's will to save his elect, and he's going to save them. Can you imagine? Well, here's where Peter was at. Okay, you're going to have to make a decision. Who are you going to obey? I know the, the powers that be are ordained of God. But when it contradicts the word of God and they say, you're not preaching in his name, there's no question who we're going to obey. We're going to obey our king and we're going to obey our master. Do what you will. Do what you will. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. 
for whom he did foreknow, he did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that we might be the firstborn among many brethren. If a man is, or anybody, a preacher or any believer, if you've been with Christ, it makes you humble. It's not a cock, a hawky, haughty thing. It's, it's humbling. You know, it's humbling to think that, that Peter denied our Lord three times, that God would ever use him again. You know what it did? He humbled Peter. Peter said, everybody else may deny you, but I sure won't. And the Lord humbled him. And it will humble you. Who, are, who is sufficient for these things? We're not sufficient for these things. It'll give boldness. Enter, come before the th- boldly before the throne of grace. Be like, you know, all, you know all a preacher is? He's the one that delivers the mail. He's just sent to deliver. You tell them exactly what I told you to say. And you tell them and you warn them and you preach Christ. It will make us want to declare the truth. Like I said, when you see somebody, like I said, Melissa sees, she sees something and, and somebody says, no, it ain't what I see. And Melissa says, that ain't right. I know what I saw. There's no change in me. I can't be changed because I know who I saw. I know who I've heard. I know who I've been with. They talk about some other Jesus. They said, no, you're not talking about the God of Scripture. And she's not afraid because she's been with him in his word and she knows what his word says. He's taught her. He instructs her. She don't have to be afraid when trouble comes and you go, what am I going to do? What time I am afraid, I will trust the Lord. These things the world wants to move you, intimidate you, make you afraid and fearful. We don't have to be afraid. Be afraid of what? If they take your life, you're going home. <laughs> and none of us, I know, we don't want, you know, we don't want, there it is kind of like fearful thinking about death. I understand that. But that's what they threaten them with. That's what they've always done. Even here in the early church. They had to sneak around and meet because they were afraid they were going to come and arrest them. Remember, we saw that. We're going to see it when Peter was cast into prison. They done killed James, and they mean to kill Peter. And you know what happened? They gathered in a little place, John Mark's mother's house, and they're in there praying, terrified. Don't, and then it comes a knock on the door, and they go, who is that? It's the Romans. They come to get us. It's the Jewish Sanhedrin. They've come to get us. And you know who it was at the door? The answer to the prayer. They're praying for Peter, and Peter's standing at the door, and they didn't even believe it. But what I want you to say, they're in that house and they're, they're afraid. They're afraid. Well, what's going to happen to Peter? It'd be like them coming to arrest your preacher and they go put him in, in prison and you go, what are we going to do? What are we going to do without a preacher? What are we going to do? We're going to believe God. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer. We're going to seek God's face. And that's what they did. That's what they did. And being with our Lord... It will deliver us from the fear of men. From the fear of men. 
If there is a conflict between the will of God and the laws of man, the believer must obey God no matter the cost. No matter the cost. A child of God is someone who seeks the perfection of Christ's character in ourselves. Someone said, we realize that we will never achieve perfection in this flesh. We know that, not as long as we're in this flesh. But it shouldn't discourage us. Do not we want to be more like Christ? I want the wisdom of God. I've made too many mistakes. I've said too many things just spouting off without God giving me wisdom. I want to say... I need to know the right thing to say at the right time and to speak the truth in love. If you be risen with Christ, if you're a believer, seek those things which are above. The world wants you to seek the things of the world. It doesn't matter how we get you quiet as long as we get you quiet. We'll get you, we don't, we don't care how, what we have to do to keep you from speaking in his name. That's our goal. If you be reasoned with Christ, sit, seek, seek. What does it mean to seek? Seek those things which are above. Where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Why is he sitting on the right hand of God? Because his work's finished. It's completed. He's just waiting for the day that he comes to take you home and he changes you in the twinkling of an eye. I want you to get this next statement. Set your affection on things above, not on the things of the earth. The Lord called Peter, his affections were upon fishing upon the things of the earth. And he said, set your affection. I know this because I'm just like you, a sinner just like you. Everything in the world tries to draw your affection away from him into something else. Set to your, not, and you've heard me say this many times, it doesn't say affections. It doesn't say set your affections on things above. Set your affection Singular. One, set your affection on things above, not on the things of the earth. Why? For you're dead. What can you do to a dead man? If there's a dead man, if you see all a dead man, he's, you know, they've fixed him up, they've embalmed his body, and, he, and he's laying there. You go up and say, boy, you look pretty good today. He ain't going to grin. He's not going to smile. Boy, you look bad today. Boy, they did a bad job trying to fix you up. He won't smile. He won't frown. He won't do nothing. Why? He's dead. You can't bother a dead man. What does that mean? He's dead to the things of the world. It doesn't affect him. Paul said, none of these things move me. I don't count my life dear unto myself. I have no life. He is my life. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear. For you are dead, and your life, your life is hid with Christ in God. Notice what Peter, Paul said. 
Now, I'm not sure how long Peter had been, I mean, Paul had been converted when he made this statement in Philippians 3. Before the Lord saved him, Paul's affection was on the things of the world. Let me see how far I can go up, up the Sanhedrin and so people will respect me. And he was taught at the feet of probably one of the greatest teachers of his day. He said, I was taught at the feet of Gamaliel. He said, those things that were gained to me, I counted lost for Christ. Now, I used to admire those things, but now they're just manure. And he said, I want to be found in him, not having mine own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith, that I may know him. He knew the Lord, that I may know him. Is this, not one of your, is this not your affection? Your affection is to know him. And I know if you're a believer, you know him, but you want to know more about him. You know how you know somebody? By spending time with that person. That I may know him. And the power of his resurrection. And you know another way of knowing him? And the fellowship of of his sufferings, being made conformable unto his death. The world wants to conform you to the world. He says, I want to be made conformable unto his death. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, verse 12 of Philippians 3, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that, with, that for which I am apprehended of Christ Jesus. You know what God does when he saves a sinner? He apprehends them. Why did he apprehend Paul? Why did he save Paul? I know it was for his grace and it was for God's glory, but why did he save him? He chose him. He said, you're a chosen vessel unto me. I'm going to send you to the Gentiles that he said that I may apprehend, I want to apprehend that for which I am apprehended of. I count, I count not myself to have apprehended. I've not, I've not yet arrived, but this one thing I do, one thing, forgetting those things which are behind me and reaching forth into the things which are before I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I want to know him. You know, what torments us probably more than anything is our past. Forgetting the things which are behind me. Yeah, look what, can't, can't you just see the, the old Satan whispering in Peter's ear? Look what you did, Peter. You, didn't, you said you loved the Lord, and you denied him three times. You imagine Paul. You imagine standing there. A whole crowd gathered around a man named Stephen in Acts chapter 7, and they're stoning this man to death. And you gave consent to it. They're, they're waiting for Paul's nod. I can see him standing there, and, all, and they look at him, and he went, you imagine dealing with that. Now, you're never going to wipe it off your mind. 
But he said, it's one thing I do, forgetting the things which are behind, forgetting the religion, forget all that. I am pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. One more verse, 2 Corinthians 4.11, for, for we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. We're a sheep appointed unto the slaughter, but he's our great shepherd. When they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and they perceived, they could perceive it. I could see them rolling over the thoughts in their mind. They perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men. It said they marveled, marveled. How, where in the world did these men learn this? Where did they get such courage? Where did they get such boldness? And they took knowledge, took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. As they could not deny that that lame man was healed, there was no denying, no denying these men had been with Jesus. They knew it. They may not have liked it. They may try to get them to be quiet, but there was no denying it. No denying it. They were his disciples. And as we see on, as we go on through the book of Acts, and we see how the church will begin to be persecuted, hated, and despised. But no matter what, Christ rules, and even today he's still building his church. He still raises up men that preach the gospel, and they're not ashamed. They're not ashamed of the gospel. He sent us to do one thing, preach the gospel. Not many wise men, not many noble are called, because God chose the foolish things of this world that no foolish.